Well, good morning to each one. So happy to be here with you. I'm sure every one of you has a reason why you came to the youth rally. And uh, brother introduced me already, so I guess I know a few of you here. Glad to see a few familiar faces. But uh, praise God for this opportunity. And I really consider this as, as an honor and a privilege to share with you as youth. Sometimes as you get older, you, uh, you forget that you're not a youth. I don't remember, I don't know at what age you lose that position of being a youth, but I think it probably has to do with your mind as much as your body. But um, I feel very youthful, and I don't, I haven't quite given up my position there yet. But uh, this, this morning, I've got a topic, and I'd kind of like to introduce that topic to you by saying that... Um, Stewardship is sometimes immediately connected with finances. And uh, financial stewardship is a very important aspect of stewardship, but I think also there's other aspects that we can speak about. And this morning, I probably am not going to have the time this weekend to share with you much on financial stewardship. And I think that there's some really good works out there. I don't know if any of you have ever read any of Gary Miller's books. He has several books on financial stewardship, uh, especially for youth. There is one called Charting a Course, and if you all see that book, if, if you're interested in financial stewardship, that's an excellent work there by Gary Miller. would like to advise that to you. But a topic that, we, that I have chosen to look at for this weekend is going to be a little bit more from the spiritual aspect, and this morning... I would like to begin by looking at the relationship between the owner and the steward. Does anybody here have, a, have an idea what the word steward means? Could somebody define that word for me? What is a steward? Any of you girls have an idea? I see you have no name tags. That's going to be handy. How about you, Jody? Okay, excellent. Somebody that takes care of something for somebody else. And so in order to have a uh, steward, you must of necessity have an owner. Is that correct? So that's what we want to look at today is the relationship between the steward and the owner. Because I think it's of utmost importance. Because if that relationship does not exist or if that relationship is bad... It will not create a stewardship, and we can look at that from some examples of parables in the Bible. Before we go into it, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pause a moment here to ask for your spirit to guide this topic and open our hearts to both understand it and to share it. We just commit this time into your care and your keeping. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, stewardship. Stewardship, uh, is, it's necessary that there be an owner and that there be a caretaker. 
Okay, let's, let's just suppose, for example, that we'll group you all here on the right hand as the owner, and we'll group you here on the left hand as a steward, okay? And for the, for the morning uh, discussion. And uh, I'd like us to think of this relationship that exists. And, and you know, the relationship with us as children of God in comparison to God is utmost in, important that we understand who we are in order that we can serve God and who he is. Mankind, the Bible says, was made in the image of God, and so there's a lot more relationship possible and available than most of us believe, because I believe we see ourselves too dissimilar from God in order to relate to him in a way that, that's profitable. So in the very beginning, God created man in his image, the Bible says, and also in his likeness. And we want to look at a little bit, what is God? The title of, the, of, this, of this particular session is the chief end, man's chief end, or the chief end of man. If you would ask the question, what is the chief end of man? What's the overriding purpose for a God creating man? What would you think the answer to that question is? What is the purpose of man? Why did God ever create man? Would he, anybody have an idea? Could somebody just in one word bring him glory? That's, that's, a good, that's a good answer, to bring God glory. That's a very good answer. Maybe somebody has another answer, to bring God glory. You know, the answer to that question so many times kind of falls on our own character or what we think about God. The way we answer that question many times is because of my relationship with God. And uh, I would like to firmly establish that in this very first session. What is man's relationship with God? Back to why we came to the, uh, to the rally this weekend. You know, some of you, probably most of you would say, I came maybe to be a blessing or to, get, to receive a blessing and uh, maybe the reality of it might be a little more like this. I came because I have some friends that were there. I wanted to spend a social time with them. And I'm not going to rate the, the, the uh, topics as being probably your highest priority for coming. And uh, I know that many of you probably enjoy a topic. Probably some of you would rather be playing volleyball. Um, I took a group of students to a Bible, a one-week Bible school some time ago, <clears throat> and uh, I spent the whole week sitting in on the Bible school classes, and uh, at the end, on the way home from Bible school, I popped the question, just kind of for my own information to the students, and I, and I said, um, well, did anybody bring some CDs from the Bible school? And there was a pretty good long moment of, of silence. And then one of the girls popped up and said, I brought one. I said, well, which session was it? She said, actually, it wasn't a session. It was a photos of the, of the students. <laughs> so I recognize the aspect that youth enjoy social life, okay? I, I recognize that aspect. And that probably prompted a lot of your attendance this weekend. You probably came because... You wanted to have a good time. You wanted to socialize. And, uh, and I'm not here to, uh, 
incriminate that motive. Uh, I'd actually like to accent it a bit because we're looking at ownership and stewardship. And we're looking at why God created man. In, in the very beginning, why did God create man? You know, one of the, one of the passages, scriptures, I, I, I think I always use in a, in a wedding message, in a marriage ceremony, is a passage where God says, it's not good for a man to be alone. Okay, it's not good for a man to be alone. That sounds like he created us to be social creatures, doesn't it? Now, that was said to the man, but if you look at the context, it was the very first day that man was created, right? So man hadn't been wandering around with a long face and, and living a lonely life for a period of time, and God suddenly figured out, okay, this guy is not doing well being alone, right? That's not the basis of why he said that. That very first day, God knew something about man, about who he created, whom he created in his image and in his likeness, that it wasn't good for him to be alone. Are you following my train of thought? It wasn't good for man to be alone. Do you think that God in his in his uh, position as creator, was relating to his own personality? Do you think God was saying, I don't find it good for me to be alone, that's why I created man? You see where I'm going with this? And I'm, I don't have Bible to prove this, but I really believe that God created man because God is a social God. He's a communicating God. He's a, he loves to interact. And he created us in his image so that he could interact with us. Now, to the degree that we understand this and that we're willing to do this, God is able to interact with us. So God said it's not good for a man to be alone. And I'm not here trying to make any insinuation to this group of youth here. But I'm, I'm simply saying God was planning a time of fellowship. That's what he was when he made you. He was planning a time of fellowship and interaction. I believe he loves it. I believe he enjoys it. And I believe that we have some illustrations in the Bible of that. And uh, we have a lot of responses to God in the Bible. There was a man in the Bible that hid from God. Can somebody tell me who that was? Who hid from God? I know you guys know you're being shy. Come on. Who hid from God? Adam hid from God. Okay. There was a man that it says walked with God. Who was a man walked with God? Enoch walked with God. Very good. There's a man that fled from God. Who fled from God? Jonah. Very good. There was a man that spoke to God face to face. Moses spoke to God face to face. There was a man that stood before the Lord, and I believe he was also called the friend of God. Does anybody know who that was? Abraham. Very good. Yeah, there was a man after God's own heart. David. Uh, there was a man greatly beloved of God. 
Daniel, thank you. Okay, these are some of the things that I thought we might get into this morning. But I'd like to show us that the relationship that God desires, and if you study through the Bible, the people that had an had a, had a relationship with God, how God desired to communicate, and it was based on that fact of their communication with God. <clears throat> so yes, to bring glory to God is man's chief end, but I think to develop a relationship and a friendship with God, to become intimate and uh, get to know God is, is also, shall I say, the, ch the chief end of man. So, God made man in, he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, Genesis 1.26. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all them, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So man created, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So God created all things, and I'd like to just focus, if I could, or say emphasize the fact that, that mankind was not created in any form in the image of animals, okay? Our world teaches us that we're just a higher level or highest species, and they give us scientific names to try to make us feel that way. But in reality, we're not of the animal kind, okay? We are not created in the animal kind. You are of no relationship with the animals. You're of a completely different species. To say it like this, you are of the God kind, okay? You are of the God kind of creature. You're in his image, not in the image of any animal whatsoever. Let's, let's make a, a big divide, make a big separation here. We're not of the animal species. We're not of the extra intelligent animal species. or any. We have no relation to that species, to the, species, to the animal world in, in, the, in the makeup of our, of our character. We are after, made after the image of God. And I don't say this in any way to lift anyone up in pride. We do have the example of Satan who said, I will be as the Most High. And he lifted up himself in pride against God. But, but there's a very different aspect to this if we see who we are as God's creation in total submission to him and in relationship to him. And uh, I'd like to emphasize, say, if the, if the ownership category here has a relationship with the stewardship category, how much better it'll be. The creation, the creation uh, side has, has a relationship and a friendship with, the, uh, with, with man, then it, then it creates a completely different atmosphere. We have one very, very important parable that Jesus uh, spoke in, in Luke chapter 19. He gave a parable of a certain nobleman that went into a far country. And this nobleman, he gave to his servants some, some pound, which is some, some portion of money. 
and he went into a far country, which it was a stewardship. So we see the owner, the nobleman, giving to his servants a certain portion. And the, and the servants, depending on their relationship with that nobleman, they reacted in different ways. When he returns, the final, the final uh, verse of that passage, the, uh, there was one servant that had taken that stewardship that the, that the nobleman had given to him, and he had wrapped it in a napkin, and he had done nothing with it. He carefully preserved it, but he did nothing with it to, to improve it. And uh, he made the statement, because I knew that you were a hard master. And you can see from that that the relationship of that steward to, to the owner was critical in his ability to, to Im improve that, uh, that stewardship that he had received. So we have God is the maker. He's a creator. He creates us in his image and in his likeness. I personally believe the likeness was lost when man fell into sin. I believe the likeness may very well, and it's a little speculation here, but I believe the likeness could very well have been that that uh, radiance that radiated from God. And you see different people going back into the presence of God like Moses did, like the, like the apostles did when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was, a, there was a, a glow that basically concealed the form, it seems like, of these individuals. And um, as soon as man had sinned, that, that ability to see themselves as naked was obvious. And uh, it seemed like they had lost some of that likeness. But uh, how can a person develop this relationship? And how can the owner and the steward develop a relationship? Now, as we see ourselves, we were created in the image of God, in the likeness. But there seems like this huge gulf between this likeness or this, this image and this image. What creates a, a disconnect is the distinction that exists. You know, this side of the aisle, it's not that much different from this side, but if this were God and this were man, there's a huge disconnect. There's a huge difference between the two. And A.W. Tozer made this statement, I think that, it, that encompasses it very well. He said, nearness is likeness. Or likeness is nearness. And if you would think with me just a little bit as we become more into the image of God, it creates a nearness. It, that likeness creates a nearness. And that nearness creates communication and, and a friendship. So my, my topic for this morning is, is uh, developing that relationship with the owner. As stewards of God, we need to first of all develop a relationship. It's foundational to any form of stewardship. If you're going to serve God with your life as young people, you need to get to know God. You need to develop a relationship with God. You can serve all your life if you care to and if you please and if you don't know God, it's really going to it's it's really not going to work out for you. You need to develop a relationship because God has a very individual plan for your life. And if I can focus on that this morning, is that God has a very specific 
and unique desire for you and a relationship that he wants to have with you personally to, uh, to accomplish his purpose. And that seems a little bit, that seems like that's, that's impossible, doesn't it? Even with our computers and, and, and technology, the way we have it, that God, one God, could have a personal relationship with a million people. You know, that seems, that seems beyond us. But when we start, start seeing the magnitude of who God is, we can start to develop an understanding that he has a capacity and the ability to re relate with every one of you personally. And it's to that relationship, that, that fulfillment and joy and, uh, and accomplishment comes into your life. If it's apart from that, it can be very mechanical and come without any, without any blessing. <clears throat> I spoke with a friend of mine, um, he's a beachy Mennonite uh, minister in a local town, he's a friend of mine, and we were discussing a bit of the subject of, of the purpose of man and why God created man. And his take on it was this, he said, God is love. God is love, and love requires an expression. Love in order to be love requires an expression. I really liked what he said. Uh, love requires to, it needs to be expressed. And the reason God made man was because he is love and he desired a, an individual to express his love to. And I think it needed to be someone that he could also relate to and to show that love to. So when you think of God, think of someone that is expressing. As you look at the life of Jesus Christ, in this world, he wasn't here to try to promote a certain standard of conduct. He was trying to show his love. I mean, he related to some of the worst characters because they were recipients of his love. As you think back across his life and how they accused him of being a friend of sinners, they were willing and able to receive the love of God. And I think we have to, as as Christians, be able to receive God's love in order to develop that relationship of closeness with God. So Adam hid from God. It says that uh, in Genesis 3, 7, says the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God said unto, called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We see here the relationship between Adam and God was broken. Adam disobeyed God. God put Adam here and Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, and, and Eve took of the fruit that was forbidden, she ate and gave to Adam. And at that point, there was a, there was a, there was a disconnect that happened between God and man. That's a disconnect that God calls death. You know, when a husband and wife in this life, when one of the partner dies, there's a disconnect when you see a couple separated because one partner died. 
There's a disconnect. What used to be there is gone. Our, a life partner may, may have died. They've gone on. There's, there's no more communication, right? That's the big thing that happens. That's a, the loneliness and the, and the, and the, uh, the that, that's what happens in that relationship. And I see that's what happened here. In God's eyes, mankind had died. Mankind still existed, but he had died. God told him, he said, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And mankind disconnected from God at that moment. He went and hid. He ran and hid. And that relationship with God was broken. Many people feel like it was at that time uh, that, that it was death entered into the world. Yes, I think in a sense death did enter into the world. But I really believe that the death God's speaking about is that disconnect. We see that mankind didn't die until 900 years later. So I really think that that was not connected with the punishment God put upon man at the time that he disobeyed. But to break this relationship, it, it uh, equaled death in God's sight. You know, it's interesting how we look at, at death as, as changing from this life to another life. He died, he's gone, she died, she's gone. You know, in reality, they're more alive than they were here. Just to illustrate that point, I was listening to a doctor explain the, uh, the process that happens when a baby's born. And let's just imagine with me for a little moment that there's a set of twins in the womb. Okay, my wife and I had a set of twins some 15 years ago, and we named them Jonathan and Josephine. And suppose... Josephine is Josephine and Jonathan. They're, they're together in the womb. If you understand what I'm saying, they're being carried by their mother. And uh, they, they, they live in an atmosphere that is, that is very restrictive from our perspective, but from their perspective, probably very secure and very comfortable. Okay, to me, it would be a horrible experience. I would say that's the essence of death, to be crammed in a tight place filled with liquid and be encased in liquid, I mean, it would be a horrible experience, right? Anybody claustrophobic here? Yeah, that'd be a horrible experience, wouldn't it? You know, it would be the essence of death. I can't live there. How long will you live there encased? I mean, hand and foot, I mean, you are crammed. You can't move, and, and uh, little Johnny was born, okay? Little Johnny was born. Miracles happen, okay? When a child's born, miracles happen. I mean, I can't see how anybody could say that it was a chance, but, but the little baby's in there with the umbilical cord pumping blood at a rapid rate, and, uh, and it's encased in fluid. I mean, the conditions that he's in would kill everybody here, losing blood at a fast rate and completely encased in liquid, Okay. And that baby's lungs are completely collapsed. It can't breathe, okay? It's completely collapsed. It cannot breathe. But at the moment of birth, that umbilical cord, the muscles tighten up on that, which shuts off the flow, and that blood flows up through the lungs and opens up the lungs. And when that baby's born, they're kind of blue, but they're gasping for breath. Their lungs are opening up. They're gasping for breath. And suddenly they enter into a new life. They come out of the womb, they enter into a new life. And Josephine, she's back there, and Johnny's gone, you know. 
Johnny's gone. Where's Johnny? You know, feeling around. There's no Johnny in there. He must have died. You know? Can you picture with me a little how that is? You know, that the place of, of death to us was a place of life for them. And I think the same thing is true here as mankind disconnects from God. They enter a place of death. They enter a place of death. It's a disconnect from God. And God can't relate. Johnny can't, Josephine can't talk to Johnny anymore. He's gone. <clears throat> but if Johnny could have told Josephine, you know, don't worry about it. You know, you'll be born in a few minutes and you'll find out the truth very shortly. I think it could have been beautiful. And I'm sure that happened. But if we understand, you know, sometimes death is just, a, uh, we don't understand what it is. It's, it's just a different form of life. It's a different form of life. And the quality of life is gone for a person to, to die and move away from God. But that's what happened to Adam here. You know, when a person, when a person, shall we say, we would use the term crosses the Jordan, when, when a person passes through death, God's on both sides of that. He's not on one side only. But we struggle to see God on this side. The important thing is that we are his child. The important thing is that we acknowledge who God is and that he wants to have a relationship with us. And as stewards of God, as the ones that have been given a blessing, a stewardship from God, we, in order to utilize that stewardship, we need to develop a relationship with the owner. We have to develop that relationship. In Genesis 5.22, it says that Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. So Enoch was like 65 years old, and he had a child. And I don't know if that child had an effect on Enoch, but it seemed like from that day forward... From that day forward, he walked with God. So 300 years, Enoch walked with God. You know, he developed that relationship with God. Now, most of us, we may, we may think that Enoch had some kind of a, a vision that was supernatural and he could see God with his naked eyes, with his, with his human eyes, with his physical eyes, he was seeing God. I don't think that was the case. I don't think Enoch had any any more uh, visibility of God than we have. The reason I say that is because e the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Enoch walked with God by faith. If we see something, it's not by faith. Enoch was not touching God. Enoch was walking with God by faith. He believed God, God was there and God was there. But it was, he didn't have, his perception was not there to see God walking with him, holding his hand. No, Enoch walked with God by faith. And it goes on to say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how are each one of us going to walk by faith? How are each one of us going to develop the relationship with the ownership? Is it going to be by physical perception? No, it's going to be by faith. Believing he's there. Take that step of faith and talk to him in reality. Take that step of faith and count on him and, and, uh, and uh, relate to him. In reality, talk to him. That's, that's some of the uh, 
That's some of the answer to how to relate to the owner. It's by faith. Go on to Jonah. He fled from God. In Jonah 1, 3, Jonah rose up from, to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Verse 4, chapter 4, <clears throat> he was very angry because God had, had not done what he had been telling the people he was going to do. And he was, it displeased Jonah exceedingly that God had forgiven the sin of Nineveh. And he was very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. So we have Jonah going down to Tarshish, or down to Nineveh, I'm sorry, and he preached the message that this place is going to be destroyed. In 40 days, God's going to rain fire upon you, you heathens, you sinners. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be burnt up. And God sent me to tell you you're going to be burnt up in 40 days. Well, what did the people do? They repented. They repented. Sackcloth and ashes, they repented. They even, they even made a fast. Everyone fasted and they, and they uh, repented. Even the animals had to fast. So when God looked upon Nineveh, it was a repentant sight that he saw. The people were repenting. And now Jonah has a relationship with God. He knows God. He has a friendship with God. And he knows that God's a merciful God. And he didn't want God to repent. He wanted these people to be destroyed. <clears throat> so he's very angry at God. But what, I, what he says about God seems a little bit significant. And he says here, before I even left, I knew that you were this kind of a God. And I knew I shouldn't be telling these people to repent because they would repent and they wouldn't perish. But we see how that, that, uh, that he desired for them to be destroyed and he didn't have the sentiment that God, that God had. And the relationship here is, is, is interesting. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to live than to die. Then the Lord says, Do, Doest thou well to be angry? He asked Jonah a question. Is it okay for you to be angry? And Jonah, he knows better than even answering. He never even answers God. And God makes this one little comment. Do you think his comment, do you think that it's okay for you to be angry? And, and Jonah just sells up and doesn't even answer God. So Jonah goes out and he makes himself a little booth and he sits and he, and he uh, sits outside of the city. I think he's hoping that God maybe does destroy Nineveh after all. So, but as, as he's sitting there in the hot sun, God causes a, uh, a vine to grow over Jonah's head. It's interesting how God continued to try to nurture a relationship with Jonah here. Jonah had no reason to be angry. God was merciful both to him in the whale's belly and also to these Ninevites. But Jonah's angry about it. And you see how God takes that extra step. And he, and he causes this gourd to bring shade over Jonah. I think it was another chance for Jonah to think over his, his, uh, his statement or his, or his attitude of anger here. And, uh, <clears throat> but then the next day, God prepares a worm, it says, in the morning, and he smote the gourd that it withered. And God prepared a vehement east wind, 
And the sun beat on the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished himself to die, and said, It's better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And you see Jonah's attitude here. <clears throat> Lord said, Thou hast had pity on the gourd. In other words, you would have liked to spare this gourd's life, which, which you didn't even work to make. And... Uh, it came up in a night and perished in a night. It was very temporary. You know, you didn't even have any work involved in this gourd, and here you're trying to take care of it. Think of all the people at Nineveh. He goes on to say, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are much more than three score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and so much cattle? He's saying, Look at all the innocent life that are my creation. Shouldn't I have some pity on them? Shouldn't I? And that just shows us again the relationship of God that he wants to have with his people. He has pity on his creation. He desires that relationship, even with Jonah, who was a very angry person. Now let's take a little look at Moses. Moses, it says here, spake to God face to face. And... Um, in Exodus 33, 11, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. In, in Deuteronomy 34, 10, it says, There rose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. It was like Moses could talk to God. I believe it was a, it was a relationship of, of faith. I don't believe it was a relationship of sight. And God and Moses talked, and I'd just like to bring this up to let you get a little snapshot of what your life can be in relation to God, how that a steward can relate to God and to the owner. And as we go through these examples, think with me what, what pleases God in a relationship. Here it says, uh, Exodus 32, 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, to get the background, Moses is up on, on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the tables of stone, and God writing with his finger the tables on the tables of stone. And Moses is up there with God. And, and God says to Moses after 40 days, he says, get, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy, go thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone. God says to Moses, let me alone, as though Moses was controlling him. He says, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. Okay, this is a man that's talking face to face with God. And I'm not sure how he's perceiving the voice of God. But he says, I'm going to destroy these people. Just let me do it, Moses. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? You notice how Moses turns that right around on God. God said, you brought these people and they're your people. 
You know, God said to Moses, Moses, you brought your people out of the land of Egypt. And Moses turns around and says, they're your people, God, and you brought them out. So they're having this controversy, it seems. And uh, God, Moses is interceding for the people. Therefore, should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief, did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou sawest by thine own self, and saidst to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. You see how this, and, and it goes on, verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now you might say, well, God had this in his plan all along, but this sounds like an intelligent interaction between two intelligent people, doesn't it to you? Doesn't it sound that Moses is actually affecting God's decision? Doesn't it seem to you that Moses is actually having an effect here in, this, in the decision and the outcome of this, of this scenario? God says, let me, just let me alone, Moses. Let me destroy these people. I can start over with you and and we could, we could start another, another group of people, and uh, they'll be the people of Moses. And, and Moses brings details into this scenario to, to influence God and say, God, be merciful. Don't you remember? And this is going to cause a, you know, it's, it, there's an int intellectual, intelligent response here by Moses. And, and it was that relationship that God just coveted in the, in the, in the life of Moses. Moses was able to interact and respond to God in such a beautiful way. He used the intelligence that God gave to him to respond to God. And I think that is, in essence, the plan of God for us. How we interact with him in an intelligent way. And interact with him on a level of friendship. And, and even, as, even as companions in in, in, our, in our labor. We're working together with God in this world. And I think one of, it, one of the prerequisites here, it says, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So Moses and his meekness, we would see also there in, in Matthew chapter 11 at the end of the chapter, it says that, that Jesus was very meek. It says, uh, says that we are to be like Jesus was, and learn of him that he is meek and lowly of heart. So we see that meekness is necessary for our relationship with God. If you're a steward and you want to relate to God as the owner, we need to have a meekness. We're not in charge. We're not in authority of this relationship. And as soon as our, life, our heart gets lifted up with pride, we lose that relationship. <coughs> Abraham. Abraham stood before the Lord. We see that Abraham's absolute trust in God gained him the title of he was a friend of God. A friend of God. Jesus makes a, makes a note of that in the New Testament, speaking to his apostles, his disciples. He says, he says that, that if a man has a friend, he'll tell him what he's going to do. If he's got a servant, he's not going to tell him what he's going to do. But if he has a friend, he'll tell him what he, what he will do. So the relationship that the steward should have with the owner 
is not, a, is not just servitor, it's friendship. So that the owner will tell the, the uh, steward what he wants to have done and what he's going to do. And Abraham, here the, the, the passage I have here is where Abraham actually uh, reasoned with God. God said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to destroy Sodom. It's a wicked city. And Abraham says, but God, suppose that there would be 50 people in there that would be righteous. Surely, as a, as a just God, you wouldn't just destroy godly people and wicked people together. And God says, well, for the sake of 50 people, I'd hold back. I wouldn't destroy it. And Abraham, he's thinking and reasoning and he's using the intelligence and the, and the ability God gave him to, to, to uh, reason. And he's thinking about Lot all this time with compassion in his heart for his nephew. And he says, but suppose it lacks a few people of 50. Maybe there's only 40 or 45. And, he begin, and he's reasoning this whole scenario. A man, a human being, a very fallible human being, is reasoning with his maker, with Almighty God. And God is enjoying this. God's not, God's not angry at Abraham for speaking up and, and, uh, and negotiating with him. God's not angry with him for that. God delights in that. This is the purpose of man, that man could interact with God. And in your life of stewardship, in your life of working with God, God wants that kind of relationship with you. Each one of you has that capacity. And unless you're born again, unless you have committed your life to follow the Lord Jesus, it, unless you have, have uh, become a Christian, this is not possible. But it's very possible today. Maybe someone here today wants to make that step, wants to make that decision to become a Christian. It's not, a, it's not far from you. God's close to you here. Maybe you say God is the creator. And you know that your life is in rebellion against God. Today's a beautiful day for you to make that decision. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be his steward. I'm going to, I want a relationship with my creator. You know, that's the purpose of life. That's the purpose you're here for. And God values that higher than anything for your life, is that you make that decision. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that he sent that your sins can be washed away. You can repent and you can be his child. It's not difficult. It's very, very simple. It's very, very simple. God made it super simple so that you as his creation come, can come back into that relationship. So that's the first step of being a steward. We have to come into that relationship. And we have to see the beauty of that relationship. And as we see that more and more real, the more real that relationship is to you, the more effective your life will be. The more you relate to the owner and you get his heart and his mind the more effective your life will be in any, in any form of service to God. That's why prayer is so, so important in, in the Christian life. You want to be useful? None of us have gotten to the, to the bottom of this. None of us have gotten to the point, say, I, I fully understand this. I'm exactly where I want to be in a relationship with God. God is so vast. God is so infinite. We're totally unable to understand God. But we see Abraham here negotiating with God. We see David, the son of Jesse. David wasn't sinless. 
David didn't make David was somebody that made some huge mistakes. He was running his kingdom and he made some huge mistakes. Even as a king, he made some huge mistakes. But God said, God said, he's a man after my own heart. He says, that's the kind of guy I really created mankind to be. You, if you would be like David, he said, you'd, be, you'd, 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 touch, you'd have a spot in my heart, God saying. And I think David, he could write that Psalm, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. He sensed the presence of God. I think from, even from childhood, David sensed that presence of God, and he could even walk through death without fearing. Daniel was a man greatly beloved. Daniel was a young man, probably suffered a lot of things. He, he came into, he was taken away from his homeland into the land of Babylon by a, by a pagan king. And, uh, and it was probably terribly mistreated in a lot of ways. But Daniel was a man that God said, thou art a man greatly beloved. And God treated him like a friend. What did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, God, that I'll show you, because you're my friends, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. God told Daniel what he was going to do. God showed Daniel amazing prophecies that are still, still yet being fulfilled today. And uh, so that's the point I want to make initially this morning is as a as a uh, steward of God, we need to develop a relationship with the owner. If we want to be an effective steward, we have to have a relationship with the owner. In our next session, I'd like to look at how that, that ownership is affected. I want to look at, at ownership for, through the Bible and show how God owns us. Some of us may think, I, I work for a living. I earn my own living. What's, what do I owe God? You know, how does God own me? So we want to look at some of that in our next session. But just in closing here, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus makes a statement. He says, not, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not, not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are numbered, are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye, ye are of more value than, the, than many sparrows. You know, the sparrow is probably the most common bird out there. There's millions and millions of sparrows are everywhere. Sparrows are all over the world. There's dozens of species of sparrows. Sparrows are probably the most common bird that exists. And God says, you could be so common, but you're special to me. I notice even a sparrow when it drops and you're far more special than a sparrow. You think God has that kind of interest in you personally? He says, I can count even the very hairs of your head. And uh, what's God saying? He's saying, you're special to me, and he's saying, and I have time for you. You know, you ever see anybody count somebody else's hairs on their head? If I saw somebody, you know, sitting down and counting the hairs on your head, what would I say about that? He's hugely wasting his time. He must have a lot of time on his hands, doesn't he? That's what I'd say. I'd say that person is certainly, certainly uh, has a lot of time on his hands. That's what God's saying. He said, I have time for you. I have plenty of time for you, and, and you're very special to me. So in, in relating to God, let's, 
Let's remember, God wants you as a steward to have a relationship with the owner. So that's my first point this morning. That's what I'd like to leave with you. May God bless you.